How's everybody doing? Good, good. Well, I want to pray for us real quick because um, what we're going to talk about tonight, I believe, could be a turning point um, in our ministry here at the church. I believe it could be a turning point for our community, for your schools, for your families. And so I would ask that we take just a moment to ask God to be here present with us. So if you would join me, let's just, let's spend just a moment in asking God to be here. Speak to each and every one of us. Let's pray together. God, I pray that tonight that you'd meet us here, that you would speak to us, God, about the things that you want to do in our midst. I pray, God, that you would show us the places in our life, God, that you are wanting to work. Maybe for a long time, God, you've been trying to get to us, trying to speak to us, trying to draw us to yourself. Maybe for some of us in this room, God, we've been fighting it for a long time. And I pray that tonight, God, that your spirit would, would, um, would win us over, that your great love and your mercy and your grace would win us over. God, we're grateful for all that you've done in our life. We ask you to continue to move in a powerful way. Jesus, we are thankful for, for who you are and what you mean to us. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So tonight we're in a series called Revival. And last week, if you were here, you heard Daniel Stavanis kicking us off in a really, really great way. Um, this whole concept and whole idea of revival is really about God's people being awakened once again to the kind of love and grace and mercy that God has for us. And not just that, but his introduction and his offer for us to join him in what he's doing in the world. God, God is always interested in seeing his people come awake again. Now, I was in high school one time a long time ago. I remember what it's like to have so many interests and so many things that come at you that sometimes God, God gets the back burner. And I would imagine for some of us in this room, and I know a lot of you in the room, God's been on the back burner for a long, long time. And what we have to do is we have to be people, once again, who come alive in Christ. That's revival. That's the kind of movement that we want to be a part of. And so last week, Daniel came to us and he talked about um, making sure that we understood that revival, that it begins small. It's like yeast, if you remember we talked about that, permeates the whole dough. It's like, a, it's like a mustard seed that you plant in the ground that's so small, but it grows into something so big. I think for a lot of us, we need to realize that first and foremost, God wants to do something within us. It might be very, very small, just so insignificant the way it seems to us, but it can grow into something amazing. It could grow into something that would change the world. And so tonight, what we're going to talk about also is that revival begins with us. It begins with you. Do you realize that the reason that we're sitting here tonight in 2019, which is weird to say anyway, 2019, the reason that we're sitting here right now is there was one man named Jesus 2,000 years ago who lived his life and ultimately gave himself up as a sacrifice for all of humanity. He had 12 guys that he poured into for three years, 12. And those 12 dudes literally turned the world upside down. And here we are 2,000 years later. We're a part of this thing. It's revival. It starts small, but it grows into something. You see, in our history here in America, there are some, some pretty major shifts that have taken part in, in terms of revival all around our country. The first one was called the Great Awakening. Everyone say the Great Awakening. The first Great Awakening. In 1734, 
There was a historic revival that took place in the Northeast in Northampton, Massachusetts. There was a young man named Jonathan Edwards. He was a pastor. He'd been doing ministry there for years and years with really no effect. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there were five or six people who came to Christ in the midst of his preaching, five or six, one of which was a young woman. He wrote this about her. He said, she had been one of the greatest company keepers in the whole town. What that means? She had a lot of boyfriends. So one of the five or six who came to Christ was someone who had a lot of boyfriends. He feared that her conversion would actually put like a douse on the whole flame, everything that was going on. He thought it was gonna like ruin it all. But instead, when these five or six came to Christ, over the next few months, 300 people in that one town of 1,100 people, 300 of them, one third of the town, came to Christ. And after that, in 1734, 100 different towns around the Northeast, people just became believers left and right. Just an unbelievable kind of move of God. It's called the Great Awakening. Later on, 1802, there was what's called the Second Great Awakening. You ever say Second Great Awakening? Number two, 1802, there was something called a camp meeting, a, a big move where these people would come, they'd set up big tents, and people would gather around. And in, in Cane Ridge, Kentucky, in 1802, 20,000 people came together for this revival. And there was, there was preaching and teaching all over the place. In fact, someone wrote this about that time. It says, the noise was like the roar of Niagara. The vast sea of human beings seemed to be agitated if by a storm. I counted seven ministers all preaching at one time, one on stumps, other on wagons. Some of the people were singing, others praying, some crying for mercy. A particularly strange sensation came over me. My heart began to beat tumultuously. My knees trembled, my lips quivered, and I felt as though I would fall to the ground. This young man who wrote this then became a Methodist minister and led thousands to Christ. 1802. Then you have the third great awakening. You ever say third great awakening? It began in 1871. A man named D.L. Moody began to teach young children on the streets of Chicago. He started to share the gospel with them. And it got so big and became so important that even Abraham Lincoln, before he became president, came to see what was happening in the streets of Chicago as D.L. Moody was teaching these children. D.L. Moody eventually started Moody Church Bible Institute and has preached to over 100,000 million people back in 1871. 100,000 million people. 100 million people. A lot of people. There are three things, two things really, that, that, are, that are similar to all three of these great movements throughout history. Number one, they all began with young people. And in fact, if you look throughout all the great moves of God, all throughout human history, they've begun with young people who have come alive in Christ, who have, who have realized the grace, the mercy, the love, and the grace of God in their lives. And because of that, they became alive, ignited into amazing things. So number one, it's all been young people. Number two, each one of these movements happened 100 years apart from one another. The last great move of God the last great awakening took place in the very early 1900s. That means we are due for another great awakening. And so even as I say that, I really, I really mean that. It's not some kind of cute thing to say. I believe that it's time for God to move in a really powerful, strong kind of way. And here's my question. Why not here? Why not now? Like what would happen if God began to release his spirit just to a group of people just like this, just students like this? It starts with young people and it's time. Revival, it starts now. So number one, it starts small, but number two, it also starts with you. Revival is about a movement. 
It's about a movement of people. It's not a, di- it's not a static word. The word revival is a dynamic word. It's full of energy and change and progress. People get excited about revival. They get excited about a movement. One of the places I've seen this most clearly in my whole life, I got involved in a, in a Tough Mudder. Anyone know what a Tough Mudder is? In 2010, there was a group of people that started something called a Tough Mudder. It's a race. Some are 10 miles. The one I did was 10.5 miles, 22 obstacles that you go through. Sounds fun, doesn't it? No. I barely drive 10 and a half miles, let alone like run 10 and a half miles. In 2010, these guys started these Tough Mudders. Now, eight years later, only eight years later, three million people have done a Tough Mudder. Three million people. So my friends and I, some friends from the church, we signed up to do this Tough Mudder in North Carolina. So we drove up to North Carolina, we got there, and there are literally thousands of idiots all in this big field, and everyone's dressed like a fool. Crazy hats, crazy outfits and stuff, and these people are so excited to run 10.5 miles, do 22 obstacles, freezing cold, you go through water, mud, all kinds of stuff, and they are so jacked to do so. So we walked up and we sign in, we walk up and get all these other people, and they got like megaphones and they're screaming, people are going crazy, I'm like, what is happening right now? Here's what's happening, a movement, a movement. These people get so excited about going through all these obstacles, running all this distance, getting so muddy and nasty and disgusting, doing all this stuff, and they love it. And when you're around them, it is so clear. These people are a part of a movement. These people are part of a revival. These people are part of something they're so excited about. Here's the problem. In our churches today, in our youth ministries today, when I look around a room like this, you know what I usually see? Boredom. For most of us in the church, we are bored out of our minds. And so because we don't see this as some kind of movement that is full of power, it's dynamic, it's full of energy, because we see this as just something that we're supposed to do, or something that their youth pastor asked you to do, so you want to let them down, so I guess I'll show up, or your parents made you come. Most people are just bored. Most people are just dry. Jesus Christ working in our lives is not something that we usually get excited about. My question is, Why? Why can we get so excited about running 10 and a half miles, going through mud, nasty stuff, and we don't get excited about Jesus working in our lives, freedom, identity, forgiveness, eternity? This is worth getting excited about. That's revival. And that's that's a movement. My assumption is simply this. I think one of the reasons that we walk around so bored in the church, one of the reasons we walk around so bored in youth ministry, one of the reasons we walk around so bored, we read the Bible, we talk about Christ, is because someone in the room, and all of us are waiting for it, someone in the room's got to go first. Like someone's got to get excited first. Because everybody's waiting around for someone to do it, and no one's willing to step forward. At the end of this race, we ran 10 and a half miles. And I'll be honest with you, like I was not looking forward to it, but at the very end, I could have gone further. It was so fun. And one of the things that made it so fun, you were doing it thousands of other people who were so excited to be there, that would, would rather be there than anywhere else in the world. At the very end of the race, we got together, my whole group, and at the very end, you walk through electrical wires that are hanging down, and you shock yourself as you leave. <laughs> I'm not making this up. So sure enough, we got together, we like linked arms, and you're standing right in front of this thing. There's all these wires hanging down, and you're gonna walk through it or run through it or get through it somehow. And all of us were linked arms, ready to roll, but guess what? Nobody would go. Because, you know, we're going to do this together, guys, but really, you know, somebody's got to be the first one to kind of take the step forward before we can actually go. It was terrifying and totally stupid. 
But here's what I've found in my life, and it's true not just in a tough mutter, it's true in your life today. For some of us in this room, you are waiting for someone to make the first move. What if you made the first move? What if you quit waiting for someone to really become passionate about their faith in Jesus? What if you were the one who became passionate about your faith in Jesus? What if you were the one who got excited about coming to youth group, not because you wanted to see as many people packed in this room as possible, but because you love Jesus and you don't care who anybody knows? You just, you just love him. For some of us in this room, we're waiting for someone else to go first, and my question is, what if it's you that needs to go first? What if you're the first one who needs to make the move? What if you actually making a move would be someone who would start a movement, who would start a revival? Remember, every one of these great moves of God, they began with young people who were not afraid of what people would think of them, who loved Jesus with all of their being, with everything that they have, and they're the first ones willing to take a step. I want to show you what a movement looks like, what revival looks like. In Acts chapter 2, if you want to turn there, if you've got a Bible, that'd be awesome. If you want to write it down, you can write it down as well. If you've got it on your phone, go there too. But in Acts chapter 2, you have this story unfold right after Jesus has been arrested. He's been crucified. He's risen from the dead. And as he leaves, he gives his Holy Spirit to all of these people to continue to the great work that he was doing in the world. But the problem is you have these group of early followers of Jesus, after Jesus just died, gone to heaven, and they are terrified the same thing that happened to him is gonna happen to them. We're gonna get arrested, we're gonna be crucified, it's gonna happen to us, and so they're kind of afraid, but Jesus said, do not leave this place until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, because when you do, you're gonna receive power. So they're huddled together when all of a sudden something amazing happens, and the Holy Spirit falls on these guys who are in prayer, who are really afraid of what's gonna happen next, the Holy Spirit of God falls on them. The Bible says that when the Holy Spirit comes, all of a sudden these tongues of fire, these, these pieces of fire begin to go over every one of their heads, right above their heads, the Spirit of God showing up. All throughout scripture, when you see God show up, guess what you see right with it? Fire. You know why? The Spirit of God is strong, it's powerful, it's purifying, you can't tame it. I know in this room, I've been backpacking with some of you high school boys in this room, and, and you want to be able to say to these guys, listen, you got to respect fire. It's very dangerous, but none of them do. They burn everything they possibly get their hands on. They throw it in the fire. They put their hands in the fire. They do all these things. You would think that we would at least know you respect fire, but here's what's so interesting to me. As little as we respect fire, we, we even less respect God. And when God shows up, when the Spirit of God shows up in this place, in Acts chapter 2, the way it manifests itself is that this flame that comes over every one of these people's heads. It's full of life. It's full of energy. It is powerful. It's a sign of life. It can't be tamed. And here it is in verse 3. Tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And the Bible says that when this happens, each and every one of those who are in that room begin to speak in tongues that are not their own, languages that are not their own. The reason this is so significant is because in this point in time, it's called the Passover. There would have been Jewish people there from all over the world come to worship. They would have spoken all kinds of languages. And so when the Holy Spirit comes and shows up, all of a sudden these guys start speaking different languages. And people began to hear the truth about Jesus. The truth about the gospel in their own language. And the Spirit of God is powerful and it shows up in Acts chapter 2. Then it says this. Peter begins to speak to the whole crowd of people who have come together in chapter two. And Peter's message is so simple. All he does is he says, here's what Jesus was like. He was crucified. He was buried. And he's risen from the dead. And here's all I'm asking you to do. Repent and believe. 
Repent and believe. Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47 says this then. With many other words, Peter warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Boom, just like that, 3,000 people. The Spirit of God shows up. Simple message, repent and believe. And sure enough, 3,000 people repent and believe. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings after this and fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. And then it says this. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here's Peter's message. I'll be honest with you guys. I've wrestled with this message all week long. Wednesday night I wrestled with this message because I wanted to make it so cute, you know? I want to tell these great stories and be funny and whatever. And God just kept telling me, no, 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 keep it as simple as Peter keeps it. And this is all he says. Repent and believe. Here's what I'm trying to say to you guys. If you want to be part of a great move of God, and I'm assuming that you do want to, here's how you do that. You repent and you believe. Here's what repentance looks like. Peter says, do this. Maybe in your life you've been headed this direction your entire life. You've had all these relationships, and every relationship you've had, it's been inappropriate in every kind of way, and you've just continued to do it over and over again. You, you disobey your parents kind of all the time. You smoke this, you drink that, you don't care who knows or who cares. You have relationships where you gossip about people, you hurt people's feelings. You've been living your life this way for so long. If I've said anything that applies to you, good. This is how a lot of us live. And what Peter says is this, you have to Repent. And repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry, but repentance is an actual Greek word. Here's what it looks like. You're going this direction, all of a sudden you turn and you go the opposite direction. You don't just say sorry and keep doing it. Instead, you change your life. You turn and go the opposite direction. That's repentance, a 180 degree turn. Peter says, repent. And then he says this, believe. Repent and believe. Do you know how I know that you believe in the chair that you're sitting in? You're sitting in it. Somewhere inside of you, you believe this chair is sufficient enough for you to sit in it and it's not gonna crumble underneath you or you break your legs or bust your head open. You're trusting that chair to hold you. You're putting your faith in it. You're putting your belief in it. You know how I know that some of you in this room, you don't believe Jesus? Because you don't actually live your life like it. You're not actually sitting in it, resting in it. You're not, you're not showing really any display in your life that's actually true for you. Yes, you show up to church. Yes, you come on Sunday mornings. Yes, you do a lot of nice things. But when it comes down to it, you've never actually repented of any of this stuff. You just continue it on and on and on and more and more and more. You look at the same websites. You text the same stuff. You say the same things. Peter says, repent and believe. Make a 180 degree turn and then prove to yourself and the world that you believe in Jesus by the way that you live. Peter says, repent and believe. And you know what happens when the spirit of God shows up and Peter says this? 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus. They begin to live and walk this out and it says that daily there are more that are being added to their number. I'll be honest with you. What I wanna see more than anything is the students of Lexington in this area 
begin to turn and put their faith towards Jesus daily. I can't tell you how excited I would be to see a group of people just like this begin to live out exactly what Peter says, repentance and belief every single day. And if you do that by the spirit of God, other people will notice. And all of a sudden we will see a move of God. It's called revival. It's a movement. It's energy. It's not static. But for some of us, we need to be the first ones to take the first step. So we're waiting for everybody else to do it. Let me tell you why this is so crucial. Very simply, here's what Peter says. You, every one of us, we live a life that is full of sin. And that sin is not just hurting us, but it's hurting our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. At the very core of what it is, it's corrupt. We are broken. Peter says, what Jesus did by coming to the earth is he came, it was a, it was a sufficient sacrifice to make us right with God once again so we could repent and we could believe. There's a story that I heard about a, a, a woman who had cancer in her face. And her and her husband, they come to the doctor to talk about what they can do about this. And the doctor says to the husband and to the wife, he says, listen, we believe that we can get this cancer out and save your wife's life. Uh, the problem is, in doing so, we may have to cut a nerve in her face. And if we do, one side of her face will, will droop for the rest of her life. It'll never be the same. But we think we can save her life, so if you want to, we can go ahead and do the surgery. And they both agreed as a couple, we need to do this. To save her life, we've gotta do this. So sure enough, they go into surgery. After surgery, she's in the room, and the husband comes in, the doctor comes to the husband and says, listen, the good news is we've saved your wife's life, but the bad news is we had to cut that nerve, and one side of her face will never work like it's ever worked before. It's, it's broken. And the husband begins to weep, and he walks over to the bedside of his wife laying there, and she looks up at him, and sure enough, she tries to smile, but only one side of her mouth really works the way it had worked before. And the husband looks at her, and he says, I think it's cute. And the story goes, this husband leans down over his wife's bed, and he kisses her on the lips. And he makes his lips match her broken lips to show her once again their love can still work, even in the brokenness. You see, if you really want to boil down what Jesus did for us, is he came to the earth, and he broke his body. He shed his blood to match our brokenness, to show us once again that our relationship, our love with God could still work. That his sacrifice was sufficient for us. I don't know about you, but that's, that's way more important, way more exciting than any Tough mutter I will ever be a part of. Way more exciting than run, running 10 and a half miles will ever be, believe me. That is worth getting excited about. It's worth, it's worth a movement for. And here's the thing. If this is something that you want to see happen, if you want to see your schools change, if you want to see your families change, if you want to see your friendships change, if you want to see the world change, maybe, just maybe, that movement has to start with you and quit waiting around for someone else to do it. Stahl told us, revival, it starts small. But I want to say today that revival, it also starts with you. Maybe what you're looking to have happen in someone else first needs to happen within you. Maybe the things you're praying for, for that friend, maybe what you don't realize is that God is trying to do something within you first. For you to have revival, for you to have new life, to be awakened to the things of God. Here's what Acts chapter 3 verse 19 through 20 says. Just a few verses after what I read earlier that Peter says. It says this, repent then. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Repent and put your faith in Jesus that you might find refreshing. Some of us in this room, we are in desperate need of refreshing. 
We've gotten so used to just doing life the way you do life in Lexington, South Carolina. You eat your lunch, you eat your dinner, you go to bed, you go to school, you do the same thing the next day, you play Fortnite way too much. This is what life is like. And I'll be honest with you, life is so much more. For anybody that came this morning to see this compassionate experience this morning, you saw there are people in the world who don't live like us, who don't have what we have. Wake up and realize that we are meant to live a life that's bigger than what a lot of us have been doing. It's time for refreshing, and here's how it comes. Repentance and belief. Repentance and belief. When I was in high school, I don't know if y'all know, but I went to school with Nick Cunningham, Pastor Nick here from the church. He and I went to high school together. We were on a football team together, my junior and senior year of high school in Indiana. And myself and Nick and another friend named Zach, we were really the only three Christians on the team of 80 guys, really really the only three that went to church, kind of like lived life the way that Jesus would want us to. And we began to realize what we really wanted to do is we wanted to see something happen on this team that only God could do. So we said, here's what we're gonna do. We're going to, before every game this season, we're gonna pray together. We're gonna pray together in the locker room Then after every game, we're gonna pray in the middle of the field. Like no matter what this season, we're gonna do this and it's gonna start with us. This is what we're gonna do. So sure enough, first game, everything was cool. Three of us, we got together, we prayed beforehand. Everybody looked at us, we were crazy. We went out, played the game, it was a wonderful game. Prayed in the middle of the field all by ourselves, three of us, then we were done, we walked out. We're like, wow, we did it. Game one, good job. Problem was game two, Zach and I got in a fight. So only two of us prayed that game because Zach didn't want to come and join us for prayer. So we prayed just two of us at the end of the game. Sure enough, prayed just two of us because we got in a fight. Zach didn't want to come. We started doing this all through the season. The three of us, we would pray together. And all of a sudden, about halfway through the season, there was a couple guys that began to join us praying before the game and praying after the game in the middle of the field. And then a few more and a few more. The very end of the season, our very last game, we got beaten in the playoffs. And at that end of that game, we came together. We're kind of upset because we just lost. But sure enough, we saw our whole team come to the middle of the field. And not just our team, but the whole other team came to the middle of the field as well. Over 150 guys standing there in the middle of the field. And all of a sudden, our coaches said, hey, Zach, Nick, Trevor, do you guys want to pray for us? And I'll be honest with you. We did not start this anticipating this would happen. We just felt like it was the right thing to do. But here's what I noticed, because we were willing, I think, to take the step forward with the audacity, believing that God could do something great, that he could use us as a witness, that he could change the world just with these three high school dudes. Sure enough, at the end of the season, we had an opportunity to stand before all these guys and pray to God, expressing our faith in him. Maybe maybe it needs to start with you. Maybe God wants to move. Maybe God wants to start a revival, but he's waiting for some people who have the audacity to live it out because for too many of us in this room, we've been living disobedient for too long, addicted for too long, bitter for too long, and angry for too long, and it's time for refreshing. Here's how it comes. Repentance and belief. It's so simple. You see, in order for a movement to happen, it has to be easy to follow. In order for a movement to happen, in order for a revival to happen, it's got to be something easy to follow. We've made Christianity so complicated when it's this easy. Repentance and belief. Here's what it says in Psalm 51, verse 10 through 12. The writer of this particular psalm says this, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Here's how simple it is. I love the words of this this psalm. 
Create in me a pure heart, O God. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Give me a steadfast spirit to follow you all the days of my life. What would happen if some of us in this room began to realize that it was time for a refreshing, it was time for revival, it was time for a movement, and it was no longer time to wait for someone else to do it, but it was time for you to do it, to live it out at all costs. When I was in 11th grade in high school, it was really one of the first times in my life that I began to realize that to live for Jesus was the most important thing I could do. I kind of played games for a long time with God. And it was really my junior year of high school, I realized, listen, I have some influence that if God could get a hold of that, it could change things. And so I told God when I was an 11th grade kid, God, I'm not, I'm not sure what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this exactly, but whatever you ask me to do, I will do it. Like, I will follow you. I will live for you. I'll sacrifice anything for you. And it began to change things in my life to the point where, where everything was different. Everything had changed. I believe wholeheartedly tonight. There are some students in this room that I believe God has been speaking to from the very beginning of the evening and saying to you, it's time for some change. It's time to repent and believe. It's time for revival and it's gonna start with you. No matter what anybody says, no matter what it's gonna cost you, it's worth it. And so kind of boldly, really, I, I just wanna give you an opportunity to respond, to do exactly what Peter talked about, to repent and believe. And so just a moment, don't, don't move yet. Because I wanna be very clear what I'm asking you to do. Because some of you in this room, like you've grown up in the church, you've been here for a long time, but maybe you re you're realizing that you've never actually had your faith in Jesus. You had your faith in something else, in church attendance or your parents' faith or whatever it might be. And maybe tonight, by the Spirit of God, you're ready to say, I'm gonna repent of my ways and I'm gonna believe in Jesus for myself. And maybe tonight you've never made a decision like this before. I, I wanna give you the opportunity tonight to make that decision. And so if you're willing, if you feel like God is like tugging on your heart to repent and believe, to be a part of this revival, this movement that God wants to bring to this area, boldly I'm gonna ask you if you would just stand. Just stand. Don't, don't worry about what anybody else is doing around you, but if you feel like God is saying to you, it's time to repent and believe. By the Spirit of God, it's time for change. Just stand. And please hear me, if you're sitting, it doesn't mean, any, it doesn't mean anything bad, but if you're standing, it means something wonderful. Now, if you're sitting and you have someone, a friend of yours standing next to you, I want you to stand up, just put your hand on them. We're gonna pray for them. Just, just put your hands on, on one of your friends that are standing up, if you would. Would you bow with me? We're gonna pray and ask God to do this within our life, to begin a movement, to begin a revival, as we repent, as we believe, as we follow him with all we have. Bow with me, let's pray together. Jesus, we are so grateful for even the opportunity that you give us, God, to come before you and to express our love and gratitude. And I ask that tonight, God, whatever you're doing in the hearts of these students, Jesus, would be something that would be carried on to the very end, God, that you would empower them by your spirit to continue to walk and step with you daily, repenting and believing, repenting and believing. I pray, God, that because of what's happening here tonight, right now, that there'll be a huge impact in these schools, in this area, believing, God, that you are wanting revival, that you're wanting something new. 
God, what an honor it is to be a part of it. So Jesus, I pray for every student who's standing here right now. God, every friend who's got a hand on these, on these friends. God, I pray that you would do something new and fresh in our life. God, we are sorry for the ways that we've not honored you with our life. We want to put our faith in you again. So with all heads bowed, eyes closed, if, if you're standing right now, I invite you to pray this prayer with me if you would. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Help me to put my faith in you. Help me to walk with you. Help me to live like you. And God, whatever you want to do, do it first in me. So God, I pray for every one of these students right now, God, that you would move in their life in a powerful way and do something wonderful, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Last thing I want to say about this. Because revival, yes, it begins with you, but it has some kind of contagious piece to it. You see, a movement has to be contagious. Recently in my household, I have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, and they both got sick. Like a kind of hacky, nasty sick, you know? Like they start walking around, you're like, quit spitting everywhere as you're hacking in every hallway, in every bed. And so sure enough, they got sick, and my wife and I both said to each other, it's only a matter of time. You know, if you get two boys sick in the house, we're trying to avoid it as much as we can. We're taking like vitamin C, we're drinking orange juice, we're trying everything we can, but we just knew it was a matter of time. As they coughed in our face every night, as they did all this stuff, we're wiping noses and stuff, we just knew it was a matter of time. Sure enough, Jenna goes down first, boom. And within three days, I got sick myself. There's three reasons why. When someone's sick and it's contagious, there are symptoms, right? You start hearing the hack, you start seeing the cough, you start seeing the nose run and all that nasty stuff. It's a symptom. But, but secondly, it's also proximity. If you get close to somebody who's sick, you got a good chance of getting sick yourself. It's also contact. When you got a four-year-old and a seven-year-old and you're trying to like get them through life, you can't help it. You're going to have contact with them. You're getting sick. Here's the problem. For a lot of us who are believers and followers of Jesus, we don't have any symptoms. Like nobody would look at us a lot of times and be able to say that person loves Jesus based upon how they live. There's no symptoms. And then for a lot of us, we don't have any proximity. We don't ever go around anybody who needs Christ and make it evident to them that we have him and would love to share him. And a lot of times we don't have any kind of contact. Sitting down at a table at lunch or sitting down over coffee, spending time talking to people about this love that we have for God. That has to change. Because this thing, this movement, this revival, it is contagious. Start showing some symptoms. Change your proximity. Make some contact with people. I'm gonna invite you to one more thing tonight. Maybe as we've been talking, there's this person that God has brought into your mind, someone who needs Christ, who could experience such a radical life change that you just know if they had a chance to meet him, it would change everything. I'm going to invite you here in a moment during this last song to come and grab one of these pieces of paper, one of these pens, and write their name, make initials, a symbol, something. Write it down on a piece of paper and stick it on this board right here. As we're continuing to have conversations and prayer, reading the Bible, talking to people about Christ all over our community, anticipating revival, we're also going to pray for some of our friends who need to know Jesus believing that God will do a work that only he can do. And here's my challenge to you. Whoever you write down on this list, pray for them. 
get them here no matter what you have. You, got, you can even promise Trevor will give them a Snickers bar if they show up, and I'll try my best. Do whatever it takes to begin to change that proximity, that contact. Show some symptoms around them because it's contagious. So I want to pray for us. I want to invite you during this last song. If you want to come and write on this board, please do. Grab some of these. Put them there. Pray for some friends. If you want to grab one of the adults in the room and pray with them tonight because God has done something in you, do it. And last thing I would say, make it public. Tell somebody tonight. Throw it on Instagram. God's changed my life. And I don't care who knows it. In fact, I want you to know it. Share it. It's revival. It's a movement. And it starts with you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for loving us. I'm thankful, God, for the grace that you give us to respond, to repent of our old ways, God, and experience new life. I pray that you give us an excitement about you, Jesus. Who cares what anybody thinks about it? I pray, God, that it would be contagious in this community where people would, would be willing to share about their relationship with God. We ask for an excitement in Lexington High School, River Bluff High School, Gilbert High School, any other high school that I'm gonna get in trouble for forgetting right now, God. I pray that you would move in a powerful way. We ask for your spirit to be here with us now, God, as we repent, as we believe, as we pray for our friends for the same. It's in your name we pray. Amen.